everybody, and welcome to Flop the Podcast, a podcast by Treefish Edu. This is the show that features teacher guests sharing their stories of educational mishaps or flops and what they learned along the way. Why do we do it? I'll tell you why we do it, because teaching is tough. And we all flop from time to time, but by sharing these flops and success stories, we hope that you can benefit from their experiences. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Ryan Tibbins, an AP English language and composition teacher from Northern Virginia. We had a great conversation about discussion-based learning and how he worked through the challenges of implementing teaching practices that generate quality discussions in a remote learning environment. This is an episode you're not going to want to miss. Check it out. Welcome back to Flop the Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Geis. In this episode called Discussion-Based Learning, we'll be sitting down with an AP English language and composition teacher, the host of ClassCast Podcast, and an award-winning teacher, Ryan Tibbins. We'll talk a little bit about the art of bringing quality discussions into the classroom. Thanks, Ryan, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that that's you know stood out to me before I kind of reached out was that we're we're kind of from the the same area, so I feel like we're on the same wavelength, the same pages, in, in certain things in education. I was uh, taking a look at your website, classcastpodcast.com, and uh, I like a lot of the stuff that you have to offer there, and I think all that kind of plays into what we're going to be talking about today. For all of our listeners who do not know Ryan Tibbins, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your educational journey, and how you got to this point in your career? Sure, yeah. So I, I grew up in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which, as you said, is not too far from where you grew up. And I uh, I, mean, I was a pretty good student. I mostly liked school or, you know, tolerated it and, and all that. And <laughs> I, went to, I went to college at James Madison University in Virginia, and I think from that point, you know, never really went back, not for dislike of where I grew up. I just saw more job opportunities in Virginia and I ended up teaching in Loudoun County, which is in Northern Virginia about, uh, it depends on what part of the county, it's a big place, but you know, 30, 40 minutes west of DC, uh, a fairly affluent area, very, very diverse. And I've been teaching high school English ever since. I've been teaching AP language and composition for the last Oh, geez, I don't know, maybe seven years, something like that. Uh, this is my 15th year teaching. And so, you know, when people say, why do you teach? I say, well, you know, I, I like what I do. I don't like the grading. You know, I, I should have taught a different subject area. But aside from that, um, I like the idea that, that what I do every day ha can have and hopefully does have a positive impact on everyone in the room. Um, and th this isn't to take anything away from any other subject areas, but, you know, not everyone's going to use the, the things they learned in chemistry. Everyone's going to use the communication skills and the critical thinking that we work on. So I, I take that part seriously. Um, you know, how I ended up here was semi-accidental. You know, I, I didn't really want to be a teacher until I was already teaching, essentially. So student teaching was a really important experience because if that hadn't happened or I hadn't sort of, you know, fought my way through or slid my way through the classes up to that point, I probably wouldn't be a teacher. But once I was actually in the classroom, I really loved it and and generally feel good about what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I can agree with a lot of things and a lot of things that you said there resonate with kind of how I felt and how I got into the classroom. So 
Flop the Podcast is all about embracing teacher challenges or the things that haven't gone as planned, aka the flops within the classroom. In this podcast, we'll explore one of our favorite teaching practices, how the teaching practice was challenged in a remote setting, and then how you modified your practice to remedy these identified challenges. So tell me about a practice that was very valuable to you in your teaching classroom before we got thrown into this remote situation. Yeah, this, this is, um, you know, I think, I think the, the list is nearly endless for most people, you know, how many things have changed or the things you liked that then you had to reconsider when things move online, et cetera. For me, my class is probably more, more discussion based than most. Um, I, I actually had this sort of epiphany, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago in an academic inclusion model, like an on-level inclusion special ed class or second teacher, all that. And I was like, man, I just cannot go through one more of these like standardized test practice essays because everybody's going through the motions. Like kids are just trying to crank out five paragraphs and get, and I thought, ah, like I can't deal with another bad paper that is full of bad ideas. And this is something that I realized I had been doing in AP and in honors levels classes longer, but without really intending it. And it was in that class where I realized that, you know, there's no number of correct semicolons that will save a bad essay. Like if you have bad ideas, your grammar doesn't matter. No one cares. You're polishing the brass on the Titanic. Like it just, it doesn't matter. It does in the end, but only after you've supplied good content. And so for me, I really believe that you need to have strong thinking skills in order to develop strong writing skills. Because if you don't have good ideas, nobody wants to read what you have to say. And that's something that, like I said, I think I'd been doing already in the higher level classes sort of accidentally. And, and at that point, it became more purposeful. So we do a lot of discussion. Um, there's whole class, you know, where, I, you know, it probably looks like a lecture, but it's really a lot of back and forth sort of sem whole class seminar style. Um, I have a lot of activities where students break into small groups and then the, we swap the groups. Uh, I recently in the last couple of years got into keep, you know, trying to pair kids off in groups of two or three and having them record podcasts where then they have to share the recording with classmates. So it's not just enough to sit there and talk and pretend like you're doing the activity. Like you now have an audience and your classmates will respond. So if you were just, you know, saying whatever seemed convenient, someone in the room is going to rip you up for it. And, and what I found was that those discussions have been really useful, both in students being engaged, but also in developing the critical thinking, sort of that back and forth between people um, and then, you know, if we have a couple of good discussions beforehand and then we move to the writing, the writing's way better. You know, they, the kids avoid the obvious mistakes. They're, they're better at counter arguments because they've heard the disagreement. All of these discussion pieces have become really, really important in my class. And at the end of the year, I do, it's not required, but I do a, a feedback form where every year I say, you know, rate everything you do, you know, each unit from a one to 10 in how enjoyable it was and how educational. So you might tell me the grammar stuff, you know, you hated it, but it was useful and, you know, vice versa. Um, and one of the things that has been most consistent for probably most of my teaching career, but especially in the last few years has been the, the units that are heavier on discussions. Students seem to rank higher based on their perception, both of their engagement, like did they like it and in terms of the learning. And it's, you know, it's very unscientific, but they feel good about it. And what's interesting is those are usually the units I feel best about as well. So now I try to build the class around these discussion pieces. You know, what's the question? What, what are our talking points? Give them as much time as we can to hash it out before I ask them to do formal writing, 
because that at that point they write more confidently and with a little more style. And even if I have to read an essay that isn't a great one, it's at least a thoughtful bad essay. Like I can I can read a thoughtful bad essay. I I am done with the unthoughtful essay though. And and so the discussion has always been something that's very important and maybe has turned into a little bit of a challenge online. So a lot of good things here. One of my favorite things that you said was strong thinking, practicing strong thinking develops uh, strong writing. And that's, that's so true. I mean, I could tell you I am a horrible, I have the ideas, but I'm horrible just like putting it straight to paper. I have a process that I have to go through. And I think this whole discussion process not only brings the best of you out as the student, but also you're all, you're automatically getting some peer feedback there as well through these discussions. I think that's awesome. Another point that you brought up that I really enjoyed was the podcasting. And this is something that, you know, we're trying to implement more formally into our school district as well. But you can't hide, you can't fake a podcast. You have to know your stuff. You have to be, it has to be thought out. It has to be in, intentful. I mean, you have to have the intent and the deliverable uh, with it in order to make it successful. Otherwise, you're going to get all these ums, ands, buts and stuff. And you know when people did the research. So that was great. And the feedback form. Uh, I think you took it a step further. I mean, do you like this activity? And rate it is a lot different than do you like this activity? And, you know, was it useful? And I think when you tie those two, it's it's fair to not like something and find it useful. And I think that that tells you a lot as a teacher getting that feedback. All right. So discussion based learning. Fantastic. Let's let's talk about your shift into the remote learning or virtual learning atmosphere with discussions. This this has to be one of our most challenging practices that teachers do is try to get that engagement in that remote setting. Yeah, it and and some of these things are are obviously limited by by like the platform, by the structure around me. You know, as as a classroom teacher, I'm not in any position to dictate the policies and and things like that. And I also don't mean to be critical of, you know, any of my supervisors because you know, while, while most of them wouldn't want to do my job, I probably wouldn't want to do theirs either. But I, I do think, you know, sometimes you have to operate within within the rules that are, are created for you. You know, you have to play whatever game has been established. And so originally in the spring, you know, school shut down um, for us. I think it was March 11th, I believe, is when the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. And we got a call at like 5 a.m. the next morning said, you're not going to school today. And, you know, I was like, oh, man. So I immediately like I lined up podcasts with a friend who works for a learning management um, you know, system company. And I, you know, I was like, what can I do to figure out what's going on and maybe to help other people understand this? And by the next week when it was like, OK, we don't have a clear plan for how, you know, when we're going to be back teaching, you know, what's going to happen. I started thinking a lot. How do we do this? How do we do this? And I had all these ideas for essentially more more like probably what is a more traditional online class, like a lot of asynchronous, like do the reading, watch a video, blah, blah, blah. And then I was going to set it up so that students could essentially schedule their own time to do some discussions, do some recordings. And then every two weeks you have a paper, do something like that, like sort of go through the same general process. Um, but with maybe a little more flexibility on time and topic, given the circumstance. And I got a lot of positive feedback from my building level administrators and then ultimately was sort of told not to do any of that and, and sort of wait. And so last last year, I think, you know, we got through the end of the school year. OK, my kids did OK in the AP exam. But um, 
none of, none of it was as clearly focused or as organized as we probably would have liked. And so getting into the fall, we have at the high school level, you know, where I work, we've been 100% online. So I've been in my classroom two times since March and it's, it's kind of weird um, trying to adapt and, and think about how do we run this because we're doing everything synchronously. Like we, Monday's an asynchronous work day, but four days a week, you're just, you're doing class online through the camera. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to essentially do a, a cut down version of my class, you know, doing it online. Um, I knew, I knew we were going to have to make some adjustments. So I reduced the total amount of topics and, and readings and things, but tried not to cut anything that in my opinion mattered most. Um, and the discussion piece was tricky. <laughs> you know, it was, it was tricky. I would say that I've had, um, more success than probably the average teacher in having students with their cameras on or who will turn their mics on. But the number's actually gone down. Like his students have realized that the teacher can't force me to do that. Um, like we're not allowed to require him to have it on. So as more students have realized that uh, a few have backed out, but um, we tried to roll in and, and do the discussion and the critical thinking pieces. And it was, it was really tricky. Um, you know, the first, the first book I have the AP kids read is called Justice by Michael Sandel, who's a Harvard philosophy professor. The, the, the subtitle of the book is What's the Right Thing to Do? And I do it at the beginning of the year because it's like, hey, here's what some of the greatest moral philosophers of all time have thought. This guy addresses the, the good and the bad of each piece, you know, and so that when we get into the discussion pieces, the kids really have something to back it up. They can say, well, Aristotle would have said, you know, or, well, you know, the utilitarian approach is. And they use these terms and it's good. Um, what I found, though, was that I couldn't trust that the discussion was going to occur purposefully in the online environment the same way I could in the classroom. You know, like in, in my room, like I, I have a very small classroom, but I could have kids sitting out in the hall. You can go down the hall around the corner, sit by the windows, whatever, and I can just walk around and, you know, I can sort of see. And in the end, you know, it, it goes pretty well. They get off task once in a while, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You want them to, to have, have something to keep it light, but um, you know, you try to do this in a breakout room and you can't, you can't see any, you see one group at a time. Um, and what I realized was that in most groups, you had one kid who was sort of jotting down answers or carrying the thing. And it was, it was really, it was really tricky because the kids expressed interest in the ideas, but then didn't engage with them. And that's where I got stuck, you know? So um, it, in a, in a lot of cases, I feel like, you know, if I'm enthusiastic and knowledgeable and I set them up with something that's worth thinking about, like that, that's worth their time, the kids just jump on it. And what I found this year is that students would go, no, it's a cool idea. I go, okay, what do you think? And like, ah, You're, all right. You know, and I ask like, you know, I try to attach, you know, a question about their say current experiences of online school or maybe what's going on with the pandemic or, you know, the moral side of like, you know, shutting down a business or something like things that they should care about, you know, and, and you get like some kids type in the chat. Oh, that's a good question. I'm like, well, thank you. What, what's your answer to it? You know? And it's like crickets, you know, at one point I, I didn't want to be too sassy about it. At one point I had loaded up on my side computer. I had like sound effects ready and I would just like play the crickets chirping <laughs> just to emphasize the point, you know? And like, it was funny for a day or two. I was like, I can't keep doing that. Like that, I don't, I don't want to talk down to anybody or, you know, whatever, but um, I, I really had to reassess how that piece went. And so I have had to make some changes, um, some big changes, I guess, in terms of, of packaging those discussions, because I'm still convinced that that's an important part of building the critical thinking skills and generating better writing. Um, but I can't 
and I, I don't know why I, I don't have an answer for that. Like, why can't I trust that it's going to happen now the way it did before? But the results sort of spoke for themselves at first that you could tell which groups did the discussions and which groups didn't, you know, and we'd go and we'd write a thing and I'd go, wow, these are really thoughtful. And then, you know, two thirds of them are, you, you barely know what you're talking about. You know, you didn't, you didn't do the talking piece first. So I've started to be a little more structured with it in ways that I don't love, but a, a few more like guiding questions, asking for every question where it's like, Hey, talk this out. Uh, you know, and sometimes I say, give me a specific answer. Sometimes I say, just talk it out. Give me a summary of what you talked about. Like you don't have to make a claim, but I need you to summarize what the group went over. Um, I don't love doing that because I think it, it trivializes the discussion itself, but because there's now a deliverable piece, I know that at least some of it happened. Um, I find myself asking for more evidence. Um, you know, like I need page numbers, I need quotes, which I feel like normally become natural parts of the discussion. I kind of have to force that a little bit more. Um, but more recently, and this is the piece that, you know, I'd say is going better, but I think it's going to go better in the spring. Um, I've been looking at more ways to use the technology to create some accountability. Um, you know, I keep telling them like, I don't want this to be more work for you. I'm not trying to make this harder than it has to be, but you know, I need, I need to be able to check and see, are you learning this? Are you building the skills, the critical thinking, the writing, you know, developing some voice and style and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I said, I need a way to check it. Like, I can't help you if I can't see what you're doing. And so, um, we've been doing a little more, huh? I, I don't know if you can see this, uh, but that's what I wrote oh, yeah. down <laughs> Yeah. when you were talking, uh, I like to take notes and everything. And that's before you said accountability. I, that seemed what was lacking in the classroom during the beginnings of, of remote. I just, uh, I don't know. I had to share that with you because there's not a lot of times I get that right on the head, but I <laughs> yeah. definitely want to. All right. So let's talk ed tech a little bit. I'm sorry that I cut you off a little no, bit. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Let's talk about ed tech. How did you use ed tech to leverage better discussions and accountability in your classroom? So, and that's, that's the, the piece that is still in process, right? Um, I was in sort of a unique position that we started using a brand new, well, to us, brand new learning management system. So we, we have Schoology, which we had, I think maybe an hour of training on last spring and all of a sudden everything we're doing is, is in that. Um, we also have for English, we had a new textbook new, so new online study sync online textbook. So we've got to adapt those materials. And so I was sort of stuck with, um, you know, and I already use, we use no red ink for some online grammar and writing and, um, Newzella, I guess, for some reading and, and critical thinking, some note taking, things like that. And so I was sort of at the point where I'm like, I've got so many new things that I have to do, new textbook, new learning management system, that I have to be careful how many other new things I try, because I'm going to try to do too many things and do them all badly. And so I'd, I'd rather pick two that I need and do them well. And so I've gotten pretty good with Schoology. Um, you know, not the most user-friendly thing in the world, but fully functional. You know, I, I think it's fine. Um, and I went, I got the New Zella certified educator, sort of took that class and like, that's good. And that, that helped, especially with um, some annotation skills. But for the discussion piece, I was still kind of stuck, you know, and and so the ones, and this is where, you know, you say, um, you know, what what is finally working? I, I Some of this is what's working. Some of this is what I hope is going to work. But my 
County has purchased uh, memberships to both Pear Deck and Nearpod. And I don't know yet which one is going to work better for me, but that is now the second semester goal is to use those to sort of better create checkpoints in some discussions. Um, I've gotten pretty good with using some of the Schoology tools for recording video, recording audio. Uh, we have uh, Wii video, so sometimes I can have students go into a breakout room, everybody gets on, and then record, just record the screen, you know? And so that creates almost what we're doing right now. You know, you have the recorded discussion. It's not super efficient for grading because then I have to sit and listen to all of that and you multiply that out by the number of groups across the classes like that. That can be a little bit tricky, but it does create enough incentive that what I found is that students are more likely to get involved. Um, so just using the basic audio and video recording functions has been a has been a big deal. As you said before, with the podcast, there has to be that deliverable, right? There has to be that piece. And for me, what I found is one of the things that works best is for the students not to feel like they're pretending like I mean, I, I'm probably gonna upset somebody when I say this, but when we say authenticity in school, I always do air quotes because <laughs> like there isn't a lot we're doing that's really authentic. You know, most of the teachers have been teachers their whole their whole career. Um, we don't have a ton of industry experience, et cetera. So you need to make your authentic experiences feel as authentic as you can. So like actually I got some grant money about a year, year and a half ago. I got uh, lapel mics. Like for, I got, I think 25 sets. So it's two lapel mics, a, a Y splitter. Yeah, the kids could just record this stuff on their phone. But when you hand them microphones, they clip on, they sit down, they have this sense that they're doing something different than they could have just done with a phone. And so the quality of what they produce is better because to them, they're, they're doing something special. They have specialized equipment for it. Uh, and so that's what I've been finding is that when we do the recordings, if I provide a little structure, some guiding questions, and then have them record it, not just with the intent of um, eavesdropping on the discussion. I'm saying, consider this as something that you're producing for an audience. Those results have been better. But that, again, that, that requires some structure. And so that's where I'm, I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more about. I, I'm probably going to go with Nearpod. But um, from, what I, you know, from what I've seen, Pear Deck and Nearpod both have, have some overlap. And you probably can explain some of this better than I can. But um, I, I need to create sort of those those checkpoints and hinge points and lessons where, you know, we, we just did resistance to civil government. And there's these places where I just I have a PowerPoint that has like key quotes. And so I just sort of talk them through. We talk it out. And I'm like, all right, right now, like write down two sentences. What do you think about this? And then in the classroom, it's talk to the people in your row or talk to the kids around you. Like we have a little pod set up, like talk to those people, share those ideas, argue it out for three minutes. Boom, we're back to it. And that does not work <laughs> to say, go in the breakout room for three minutes where there's no accountability and go discuss it. And so I'm looking forward to trying to use some of some of the newer technology, at least to me, newer, um, to be able to recreate those hinge points and those quick discussions so that the, the little pieces are more clear. You know, the kids understand how they feel about each claim the author made throughout the text so that when I cut them loose to have a longer, more in-depth discussion at the end, and say, that's when we'll do our recording, et cetera. That's the place where I can tell if they understood it. The problem is I want to set them up to be successful in that final discussion. And then in the essay that's going to follow, I need to be able to work on those checkpoints. And that's where I think that, that some of the newer technology is going to be important. Um, you know, I wish I had done it sooner, but like I said, I, you know, if, if you don't understand how to use your learning management system, then adding, adding icing on the cake isn't going to do any good because I didn't have a cake to start with. So that's sort of, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the process of making this work, but it, we're, we're taking steps in the right direction. Yeah. I don't, 
I, I don't think that your situation is unique. I've I've heard it come up over and over again that, you know, it took a while to get our footings down and now we're really starting to build, you know, towards that finished product or that finished iced cake, uh, so to speak. But if we could wrap all this up, I think what I took away from it is we need to be authentic or make that authentic experience the best that we can. I love the ideas with the lapel mics. I think giving them the equipment that they might see in the real world is something that we could do to do that. So I was right on board there. We also need to hold them accountable. And I think if you have that buy-in from that authentic experience, that comes a little hand in hand. And then I really like how you're planning on leveraging ed tech. I, I think that's something that we could say is a is a bonus or a strength here is that now we're starting to use ed tech to leverage these discussions. And uh, like I said earlier, I think discussions is one of the hardest, getting those quality discussions in a remote setting is one of the hardest things to do. And uh, you're, you've been all virtual, I've been hybrid all year, so. For us, we're we're in the classroom. We're taking, you know, we're teaching the remote students at the same time as we're teaching the students in class, and we're trying to make two different, authentic, um, accountable areas where discussions can take place at the same time. So I think that's the next level of challenge is actually getting to that point. But I think it all goes hand in hand. We need to find better ways to discuss and. To answer your question, I think you're picking, uh, you can't go wrong with Nearpod or uh, Pear Deck. It's, it, for me, it's preference. They do overlap a lot. For me, it's preference. And I think one of the tools that, that more is we video, uh, just because you can do those podcasts on there. And now with the collaborative learning piece where students can go in and team edit things out, well, they could all record their video or their contribution to a question and throw it in there, record it, and then have a discussion on that. And that, that might be a way that we could take it to the next level. So I want to thank you for being on the podcast and joining us uh, for this episode of Flop the Podcast. Thanks to the listeners for spending a little bit of time with us today. I, I would like to encourage everyone to go and check out Ryan's work. Um, on Twitter, he is at class classcastpod. On Instagram, he's at classcastpodcast. Same thing with Facebook. And then go check out his podcast and website at www.classcastpodcast.com. All these will be in the show notes. Thanks for being on the podcast again, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Flop the Podcast by Treefish EDU. Remember to check out our next episode on any platform for podcasts or on the Treefish EDU YouTube channel. You can learn more about our virtual and in-person PD offerings at treefishedu.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Treefish EDU and sign up for our newsletter at treefishedu.com. <laughs>